Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. It's time for another show dedicated to the world of keto. Check out ketoreset.com for details about my New York Times bestselling book and send your questions to info at ketoreset.com. Nurse, it's Brad. Time for another keto show, another keto show. Lots of interesting questions. Also, a few things in my notes that I'd like to convey. Uh, items of importance for keto enthusiasts, such as how to take action when you're ready to make your initial foray into nutritional ketosis. And we spend so much time in the Keto Reset Diet setting up the story properly, making sure that you're doing the preparatory work before you even consider this crazy keto stuff. The reason this is so important to focus on is the increasing popularity of the ketogenic diet has made it the latest, greatest fad craze, and people are jumping into it, jumping off the diving board, plunging into the world of keto, without doing the preparatory work. And what happens if you do a major major dietary transformation without developing a decent level of metabolic flexibility, fat adaptation at the outset, is you're going to activate a prolonged fight-or-flight response. So if you cut carbs out of your diet and you're a lifelong carb burner, carbohydrate dependency dietary pattern, which almost all of us in the civilized developed world have been for the duration of our lives. The day we first went on formula and uh, baby pear food, we started to calibrate our genes so that we expect to burn carbs as our primary fuel source with regular meals, three meals a day, six meals a day, whatever you're doing. Since day one, little snacks in your lunch bag when you're a kid heading off to school with your goldfish crackers and your pirate's booty and your little uh, miniature packets of cheese and crackers. Remember that garbage that came to the school lunch back in the day? wonder if they still have it. Hope not. Anyway, um, we've all been in some form of carbohydrate dependency uh, for many years and decades until the recent awakening of the primal paleo movement, the insight to ditch grains and sugars, even whole grains. And so transitioning from the grain-based diet that's been part of conventional wisdom in the USDA food pyramid for decades into something wild and crazy and new. Should we call it new when it's two and a half million years old, modeling the hunter-gather dietary patterns? I don't know. Let's call it uh, genetically optimal eating patterns. And regardless of the particulars of whether you're on the vegan vegetarian side or on the hardcore carnivore uh, meat eating emphasis side, they have so much in common in that these are the foods that we adapted to, evolved on over the history of humanity. So they come from the categories of meat, fish, fowl, eggs, vegetables, fruits, nuts, and seeds. There are some people that believe strongly that you want to stick to the vegetables, fruits, nuts, and seeds, right? Shout out to them. There are other people that think that uh, well-chosen meats and fish and eggs and wonderful foods like that should be the emphasis of the diet to the extent that most of your calories come from fat. Uh, No one is arguing against including abundant consumption of colorful vegetables in the diet. So we have common ground there. But wherever you decide to uh, land on the spectrum, uh, you're eating in this ancestral dietary pattern as your first and foremost objective is to ditch those highly offensive and toxic modern foods, grains, sugars, and the refined high polyunsaturated vegetable oils. Uh, Dr. Lauren Cordain in his book references research that 71% of the calories in the modern, the standard American diet, the SAD diet, come from these modern foods that are entirely foreign substances to our genes. And so that would be in the categories of grains, right? These are foods that came about uh, with the advent of civilization, 
grain consumption in hunter-gatherer times was uh, insignificant. And then the refined vegetable oils, which is a uh, completely modern construct, as well as refined sugar and all the products that contain sugar. So you add those all up and you get 71% of your calories from something that's uh, foreign to our genetic experience. That's our first objective is to ditch that stuff. And then we're not worried about your macronutrient counts or anything yet, but you're eating a healthy, clean, colorful diet. And so you're making some progress there. You're feeling good. You're writing some conditions like uh, uh, excess body fat concerns, uh, inflammatory or autoimmune concerns, and you're building some health and you're becoming, uh, generally speaking, metabolically healthy. Uh, Chris Kelly and Dr. Tommy Wood at Nourish Balance Thrive talk a lot about uh, not even considering the objective of dropping excess body fat until you become metabolically healthy. In other words, cutting calories or achieving a caloric deficit when you have gut dysfunction or autoimmune conditions going, uh, things of that nature, it's not advisable to try to drop excess body fat during those times. So we want to get healthy, we want to eat healthy foods, not worry about caloric deficit, not worry about macro counts, but just ditching the modern foods. Then we're looking good, we're reporting healthy, and then we can aspire to things like a ketogenic experience to get those vaunted additional benefits of getting yourself uh, in that ketone burning state where you restrict carbs to the extent that your liver is producing these ketone bodies as an alternative energy source, sending those to the brain preferentially after you get fully fat and keto adapted, and then your brain is burning rocket fuel. It's a cleaner burning fuel source than the usual glucose. In other words, you're getting better oxygen delivery, better blood circulation, less inflammation, less oxidative stress, as a consequence of burning energy, more protection against the diseases of cognitive decline that are becoming so prevalent, and throughout the body, you're enjoying those genetic signaling effects of ketone burning that have a profound anti-inflammatory response. So when you're in a ketone burning state, you're regulating inflammation uh, better than you ever have before. You're also having these Peripheral benefits, like for athletes, getting the protein-sparing effect of being a keto athlete so that you have less muscle breakdown in the consequence of athletic training. You recover faster, and you produce less inflammation and oxidative stress as a consequence of training, so you recover faster, perform better. And then, of course, on the endurance side, when you need calories for prolonged efforts, oh my gosh, fantastic benefits because you are less reliant upon external sources of energy when you are keto adapted. So you can go for hours and hours without having to slam down the gels and the bars and the high sugar drinks that again produce more inflammation, oxidative stress. And you'll notice this when you wake up the next morning and you feel sore and stiff and all those expected responses from a long, hard workout or a high-intensity workout in the gym. Uh, Zach Bitter's been on the uh, show before talking about uh, what he noticed during his ketogenic training phases when he woke up the next morning and he had less ankle stiffness and less joint stiffness, and he attributed that to being in a cleaner burning dietary pattern. So all these wonderful benefits of keto are yours to be had, but you got to be ready for it. And if you're not, what happens is you cut those carbs, you go keto for however long you can last until you crack, uh, you're going to be instead triggering the fight or flight response and manufacturing the glucose that your brain needs through that gluconeogenesis process where you're breaking down lean muscle tissue, converting it into sugar, your stress hormone levels are uh, high overproduction for a prolonged state. So you might feel okay in the midst of it, you might feel wired on this stress hormone energy. Uh, you feel like you're not hungry and all those touted benefits that we talk about with keto. But what's happening is the stress response is overriding the 
truly uh, intended benefits of keto, which is to have this elegant, internally manufactured energy source, which is not a stressful thing to do at all. It's our genetic wiring that we make ketones when um, insulin, glucose, uh, and glycogen stores are low in the liver. And so we want to do it the right way is the bottom line, rather than the stressful way. So as we transition toward our foray into nutritional ketosis, we want to be mindful that we're getting good at burning fat and good at skipping meals and feeling no ill effects. In fact, feeling like we can maintain peak cognitive function and actually perform workouts uh, without needing those regular meals. We could skip breakfast, do a workout at the gym, come home, uh, have a drink of water, feel fine, head off to work, and then finally enjoy a delicious lunch around midday with no ill effects. Not forcing it, not struggling, not glancing at our watch. Can't wait till 12 noon so I can start wolfing down uh, a giant meal because I've taken myself into uh, a deficit and a depletion phase. So we're getting good at burning fat, having those signals. That's why the Keto Reset Diet starts out with the 21-day metabolism reset, ditching grains, sugars, and bad oils. Then you do your fine-tuning period, which is to see how you do when you skip meals and see how long of a fasting period uh, you can complete comfortably. So let's say starting uh, the night before finishing eating at 8 p.m. and then seeing if you can last until... 12 noon, and that would be a 16-hour fast that would put you in the thumbs-up category that you're doing pretty well and you're becoming fat-adapted. Then, when you feel like you're ready to go keto, the first thing that we suggest is to commit to a minimum period of six weeks of ketogenic eating and being careful to mind those macronutrient guidelines perhaps carefully and diligently, including writing it down and inputting data into the online calculators so that you can make sure you know where you stand. But again, this is a short-term exercise to do a focused period of nutritional ketosis and probably not recommended or necessary for the rest of your life because we do want to avoid the overly the tightly wound approach to keto where you're writing down what you eat every single day and obsessively pricking your finger to get more blood values and getting too deep into the numbers and forgetting to enjoy life, including the refeeds that life gives you. Brian McAndrew's classic quote when we're talking about these planned refeeds of five days in keto and a weekend of refeeding and all that stuff where, again, we're in this regimented approach, which is kind of ill-advised, overly stressful for many people. Instead, we're going to just commit to keto. And if life gives you a refeed, you enjoy the refeed and then get right back on the horsey the next day with a sustained fasting period or putting together a string of keto-aligned meals. Okay, so you want to start out of the gate with this big-picture perspective that you know you're into this for minimum six weeks. The reason that will be effective is because you might have some bumps in the road along the way. So if you're trying to see how long you can last in keto, you're probably going to last around three weeks because three weeks is a common uh, duration where you might experience a little dip and a little struggle. First couple weeks out of the gate, theoretically, you're motivated, you're pumped up. Maybe you are pumping through a little extra stress hormones and making some glucose to shore up your shortcomings as you transition over to Uh, a a new type of eating pattern, uh, but you can last for a while. And then at three weeks, you may experience a little lull or a dip, some afternoon blues, some suboptimal workout performance because your muscles and your brain are competing for the same precious fuel source now that glucose has been taken away. And so what you want to do is look down the horizon Know that you're going to make it to six weeks. Know that you're going to maybe struggle in the middle, struggle a little bit, not a lot. Again, if this is a big struggle, then we got to back up and uh, basically go back to square one and spend more time in the 21-day metabolism reset mode. 
but it takes around three weeks for your ketone burning genes to upregulate to the extent that you're actually making good use of this long lost energy source. So at the three week mark, it's going to start to get easier. At the toughest time, the most vulnerable time for you to backslide and kick out of the ketone game is when you need to stick it out. Again, I'm not advocating struggling and suffering. So if you're having some uh, lulls and energy, afternoon blues, whatever, go and eat more macadamia nuts and bust open another can of sardines. Or like Dr. Tommy Wood told me, hey, couple eggs and couple bacon in the morning, forget that. He goes, how about six eggs and a big pile of bacon, whatever, something that's going to keep you satisfied and nourished and not as likely to reach for the random high-carbohydrate energy bar or whatever other backslide you're tempted to do. A lot of times, those issues can be assuaged by a greater intake of the nutritious keto-aligned foods. This is my personal experience in just going primal 10 years ago when I made that major switch and I was used to having my giant cereal bowl every morning filled with assorted different kinds of high grain-based cereal and a bunch of fruit and some flavored sweetened yogurt and then soy milk and whatever was going in there. It was a massive carbohydrate bomb that I'd had every day for years and years going through my triathlon years and training like crazy. And then I switched cold turkey into primal eating pattern. And so what I did was I traded that morning cereal bowl for a giant, delicious, fabulous omelet with all kinds of vegetables in there and melted cheese and avocado and salsa on top. And I'm using five or six eggs. So instead of the cereal bowl, I'm making this massive omelet. And you can imagine the transition was much easier because I was eating this delicious breakfast that was giving me energy for hours afterward. No, I wasn't slamming the carbs anymore, and it was a little bit of an adjustment, but it was certainly made easier by having that great uh, source of nutritious and highly satisfying meal in me. So eat large, satisfying meals, whatever you need to do to stay in keto alignment and not have those tendencies or those temptations. And then looking at that six-week time frame, knowing that from week three to week six is when you start to kick into... uh, high gear with your fat burning and your ketone production, and it gets easier and easier and easier to the extent that now that you're out at the six-week mark, yes, that's the marks the official end of your commitment, and you can decide to, uh, let's say, introduce more nutritious, colorful carbs back into the diet after you've completed your formal period. Many people find that they just continue on indefinitely in uh, keto-aligned dietary patterns, or what Mark Sisson calls the keto zone, where you might be keto most days, but then some other days your carbohydrate intake might fluctuate and go up above the 50-gram limit up to 100 or even 150, which is kind of the natural primal blueprint limit, uh, but then fluctuating all over the place from you know, let's say 20 or whatever a minimum keto, a strict keto day is and bouncing around there in the keto zone to the extent that you're spending a lot of time officially in ketosis, but then these occasional meals uh, are no big deal and you recalibrate and there's no harm from uh, going up and down like there once was thought to be that you had to be really strict and it was an all or nothing proposition because as soon as you ate uh, one bite of a sweet potato, you were knocked out of ketosis for days and days. And now this is proving to be um, uh, less of a concern or a non-issue whatsoever uh, as opposed to this black and white thinking that we came out of the gate with when we were first understanding these concepts and keto got popular uh, just a couple few years ago. Um, So some more notes I have about this. Uh, from Dom D'Agostino, who was the one that really advocated for this minimum six-week commitment, one of the leading scientists in the keto game. Look him up at the University of South Florida doing great research on ketone supplements and use of ketones for high-performance military activity. 
anyway, Dr. D'Agostino speculates that athletes might experience a performance dip in the initial three weeks as the body adjusts to a new preferred fuel source. I talked about that briefly. I've talked about it a lot on other shows where your muscles and your brain are in a tug of war because they're both used to burning uh, high levels of glucose, and now the muscles have to get used to burning fatty acids and ketones instead, and the brain has to get used to burning uh, more and more ketones and less glucose. The brain's still going to burn a certain percentage of glucose, even if you're full hardcore keto person. Some experts have uh, estimated that uh, a fully fat and keto-adapted individual will burn uh, around two-thirds of brain energy from ketones and one-third of carbohydrates. So knowing the brain daily uh, energy requirement is around 150 grams of uh, glucose or ketones, we're talking about the brain burning 100 grams of uh, ketone energy and only 50 grams of baseline glucose needs. And of course, you can get those from diet, or if you eat zero carbs, you can manufacture those uh, uh, glucose energy internally through fat metabolism or through gluconeogenesis. So you can get down to the point where you need hardly any carbs in the diet. Don't believe me? Look at human evolution for two and a half million years when we survived for long periods of time on little or no carbohydrate intake with sharp, high-functioning brains that got us going every single day, going out there and trying to find food and survive and build shelter and all that great stuff. So you can get to that point where your brain needs very little glucose. But in the transition period, in that three-week time frame, especially out of the gate, um, it's going to be a struggle for your muscles to get better at burning fatty acids and get better at burning ketones if ketones are made uh, and kind of weaning off of carbs and especially going to be difficult for your brain. So the suggestion is, especially in those first three weeks of going keto, to tone down your exercise energy output overall. Just back off a little bit and focus on the dietary transformation as opposed to desperately trying to maintain your normal training routine as you overhaul your diet. It just could be too difficult and you'll get to this point where you are a little bit subpar in the workouts, you're not feeling that usual spark and you're also not feeling that usual high-performing brain, especially during the afternoon blues times or those natural lulls in our circadian rhythm when we're most vulnerable to uh, feeling uh, drag ass and maybe wanting a little bit of hit of carbs or caffeine or whatever it is, okay? That's the brain and the muscles both being uh, uh, squeezed. If you tone down your exercise output, then you're not going to have such a demand. Uh, and so whatever glucose is uh, around will be preferentially sent to the brain. Obviously, the brain is uh, the highest energy demand organ in the body. It's burning 20 to 25% of our total daily calories, even though it comprises only 2 to 3% of total body weight. Except in my case, my brain is 3.5% of my total body weight. Just kidding. (laughs) Okay, so um, after six weeks of devoted attention to nutritional ketosis, Dr. D'Agostino speculates that not only will you be back to baseline, but you'll be poised for athletic peak performance breakthroughs because your body has become highly fat adapted. And we've talked about this on other shows too, where if you're really good at burning fat, you will excel not only in the endurance events where fat burning is absolutely critical, but also in the power strength explosive events because you're burning less glucose over day-to-day life, you're creating less oxidative stress. And then when you get to your workouts, and they're called high glycolytic workouts, high glucose burning workouts because of the, uh, the nature of them being high intensity, you're still uh, recruiting more fatty acids to be burned, let's say during the warm-up period, during the aftermath and the hours following. And you also have that amazing uh, genetic signaling where in the fat and ketone burning state, you are in a protein sparing uh, genetic signaling state so that when you go in there and slam a hard CrossFit workout or a session with your personal trainer in the gym, you are less likely to break down muscle tissue 
as you would be uh, being a carbohydrate-burning athlete. So that's a wonderful way to recover faster and minimize the stress, the workout stress. So uh, the keto athletes are all over the map now. LeBron James in an explosive sport that also has a lot of endurance requirements and numerous other folks in the NBA have dabbled in low-carb and keto in recent years. You can go Google their stories up. And then, of course, the endurance scene is ripe with guys who are setting records and doing incredible things uh, while eating in that low-carb, primal paleo, keto-aligned dietary patterns. Okay, some important notes. Uh, that six-week commitment is huge also because of the initial difficulty in dropping carbs that low and being diligent enough to actually do it instead of just think you're doing it. Aren't I sassy when I write stuff? But really, um, consider the difference there. Thinking you're doing it versus actually doing it, forgetting about that Friday when, oh yeah, we had the birthday party at work and I, I, I probably ate more than 50 carbs that day. Yeah, you think? And I think this is a common uh a common phenomenon out there where people are reporting, they're sending in emails, they're talking to me, and I'm digging deeper and finding out that their glowing report maybe has some, uh, is frayed around the edges just due to um, not remembering or not record keeping well and thinking that you're doing it but not really doing it. Get what I mean? So when you're in this six-week commitment, you know it has a, uh, a time stamp on it and you're going to be tracking your carbs or being highly aware of your dietary habits for a sufficient period of time that you are pretty darn certain that you're um, keeping the carbs under 50 grams a day. Ketone burning is such a fragile state that according to the work of Finian Volek and Dr. Jacob Wilson, a single high-carbohydrate meal can shut off ketone burning for a sustained period of time. This is talking to someone who is not yet fat and keto adapted. Um, Sisson, who's been eating in a low-carb pattern for many, many years and playing around with the blood meter uh, in recent times as we were preparing the Keto Reset Diet book, uh, report that he can get back into ketosis overnight after an overnight fast or an extended fast, even after slamming down some chocolate mousse and some creme brulee. <laughs> he had a he has some gnarly parties out there in uh, Miami, Malibu, and he was reporting the carbohydrate intake one time where he went off his ketone thing at a party, and I'm like, "Are you listing all the things that were available, or did you eat all those?" He's like, "Yeah, I ate all those." So once in a while, even Sisson will go off, have some fun, slam down some extra carbs, and then with just a little bit of fasting and let's say uh, a, a string of uh, one or two keto-aligned meals, he's back in ketosis. There's no five-day waiting period. That research is from people that probably weren't highly fat and keto-adapted. So if you're starting out, and this is your first foray, into nutritional ketosis, yeah, we don't want any carbohydrate binges during that initial six-week period because it might very well take days to get back into a uh, ketone-burning state. Okay, so that was the, um, the first uh, admonition is committing to this six-week minimum. Oh, and I should add, picking the right time, you know, a time of life that's minimal stress, this is not a quarter-end inventory control coming up where you're super crazy busy at work, deadline stresses, um, holiday probably not the best time. If you're uh, a busy mom dealing with the kids uh, doing swim team in the summer and things are a little different than your normal daily routine where you have more control over your meal choices and low-stress meal and dietary patterns, Pick a good time in life when you're not traveling a lot, don't have family over for an extended visit, all those kind of things. Duh, obvious, but you know, worth stating and remembering that um, the ketosis experiment should occur under ideal circumstances. Okay, so then we want to talk about uh, dialing in the macronutrients, and that might require uh, some record-keeping. Personally, I hate doing this stuff. I shouldn't say hate, it's just... Uh, annoying. It's an extra bother. I have a lot of stuff on my to-do list already, and taking pen to paper um, is is a little bit of a chore. In some ways, it's kind of fun because you can finally uh, add to your knowledge base. 
and get a working knowledge of the relative contribution of carbohydrates in assorted common foods that you eat. So once in a while, or bucket list item to learn this stuff and know it can be very helpful. And then you can eyeball and estimate things uh, for the rest of your life. But not knowing anything out of the gate, not knowing that one slice of bread is, what is one slice of bread? Is it like 25 grams of carbs in one slice of bread, like 100 calories? I think so. So there goes half your daily allotment if you're trying to get into keto. I guess you can still eat one slice of bread. You just can't eat much of anything else. Anyway, knowing what a handful of berries is, uh, what a salad uh, represents, what an avocado represents, uh, leafy greens, things like that. And when Brian McAndrew and I were doing our initial R&D and taking pictures and videos of different uh, meals and snacks and how they contributed to a 50 gram per day goal, we realized that you can get up to the ketone limit uh, just from eating abundant servings of vegetables. And it was a little bit of a concern talking to some of the world's experts about these concepts going, wait a second, are you telling me that I need to count my Brussels sprouts and and portion them out so that I don't exceed? Uh, what about the avocado? The avocado has, um, what is it, 18 grams gross of uh, carbohydrate, but only a few net grams of carbohydrate and has all the fat in there so it won't stimulate insulin response. So our very respected expert, uh, Luis Villasenor at ketogains.com has this little caveat that he uh, offers to his clients, and that is we're going for a 50 gram per day limit on carbohydrate intake, but the avocados and the leafy green high-fiber vegetables get a free pass. So you essentially don't have to worry about uh, foods in those categories when you're counting up to 50 grams. The avocado, again, because it's such high in fat intake, and the leafy greens because they're so high in fiber and so uh, overall low in calories, not really contributing to uh, high uh, insulin response and uh, interfering with your ketone goals and also have such a high nutritional value that we want to encourage abundant consumption of those foods even when we're pursuing ketogenic goals. So rather than add up to 18 or 22 or 23 because we had uh, Brussels sprouts, a big salad, and a couple avocado snacks, we just want to put those aside and make sure that Generally speaking, what you're doing when you're going keto is you're eating a ton of vegetables, you're eating a very minimal, little to no fruit, unless it's right in the middle of summer and you live in Oregon and you're picking blackberries and you have a cup of those, that's not going to hurt you. But generally speaking, you're not making an effort to consume fruit. And if you are consuming fruit, you're sticking to the low glycemic, high antioxidant fruits, which are the berries. Those are the best. And then in terms of other carbs, you're getting only incidental amounts from things like nuts, seeds, and their derivative butters, uh, some uh, responsible intake of high cacao percentage dark chocolate. I know from experience that an entire bar uh, will have 20, 30 grams. That's a big bar, a three and a half ounce regular size bar. So it's not likely that you're going to eat an entire bar of chocolate per day. But for me, I love my dark chocolate. And even when I was strict keto, I was probably eating up to a half a bar per day. So that would give me uh, 17 grams of carbohydrate. That's a lot for a keto person. That's like a third of my daily allotment was allocated to dark chocolate. But that was that. And I didn't have many other carbs, maybe a little almond butter here and there. Uh, of course, some nuts and seeds and butters, and maybe a cup of coconut milk going into my smoothie, uh, along with some other greens. And slowly but surely, I'm tiptoeing my way up and around the 50 gram mark. And there is some consideration, there's some support for the idea that if you're out there doing some high-performance workouts, burning a lot of calories, that that ketone threshold, that, that excuse me, that carbohydrate threshold can increase perhaps if you're uh, pairing those with some uh, vigorous workouts. So in other words, if you're getting your carb intake, if it's slipping and leaking up to 75 grams on a particular day, but that was a day when you worked out hard, you're probably still marching along just fine uh, with the goal of maintaining nutritional ketosis. 
okay, along these lines, what's a way to make it simple and easy and doable? How about taking the advice from the sage keto enthusiast, Brian McAndrew, and also Luis Villasenor echoing that, saying, look, just eat the same thing every day for a while. Build some momentum. Reduce the decision fatigue and the stress of having to plan different meals every day and count different things and write down different things on your notepad. What we want to do is just reach that goal of a six-week keto period as easily and painlessly as possible, right? What about if you had an omelet every single morning like I did for, oh my gosh, this lasted for many months as I transitioned over to Primal because honestly, I was a high-calorie burning, high-calorie eating human for many, many years coming off of that triathlon binge where I was training for hours and hours a day and I was snacking constantly on my dried mangoes and all my energy bars that I had in my warehouse when I had an online nutrition business and I was selling athlete sugar for a living before I woke up to the next phase of life and transition in my career. Embarrassed to say it, hey, Mark Sisson did too, man. He invented the first concentrated carbohydrate solution where you could scoop in six or seven or 800 calories of maltodextrin-based carbohydrate into a single water bottle for those long-distance endurance athletes to sip and perform when they were carbohydrate-addicted, carbohydrate-dependent. So now we've awakened to a healthier way of life. We can still do our wonderful athletic challenges, doing them in a sensible manner rather than in a chronic pattern that begets uh, massive carbohydrate intake. But anyway, I transitioned successfully because I had that uh, great idea of eating the same thing every day and eating a large amount of the same thing every day and building that momentum out of the gate starting in the morning. Uh, I will add that over time, oh, after a year or two or whatever of this religious uh, devotion to the gigantic morning omelet, I started to notice I'd wake up and I wouldn't be super hungry for the omelet. I didn't have that intense need to consume that in order to uh, get off to a good start with my day. So I kind of graduated to the next level of uh, primal paleo-aligned eating where I was able to fast or have a small snack. Uh, Maybe it was one hard-boiled egg on the go or uh, a few bites of dark chocolate smeared in almond butter at 11 a.m. as my first calorie consumption. But it took some work and took some effort to reprogram my genes away from carbohydrate dependency and into that fat-adapted state. So same thing for you. If you're going keto, uh, make some good plans to eat the same dang thing every day, like a big giant salad at midday. And in the morning, if you need a couple eggs or something that's perhaps a zero carb option, uh, I know a lot of people are taking the uh, high fat coffee consumption in the morning and feeling like that's uh, kickstarting them into a day of fat burning. Uh, We sometimes second guess that Uh, practice because we're talking about um, the difference between burning fat in your coffee and burning stored body fat. Your body doesn't know any better. A lot of people are trying to drop excess body fat. And so if you're getting good at fat burning, uh, you might as well burn it off your body and get some accordant benefits of uh, just getting good at uh, mobilizing stored body fat and burning it off and meeting, meeting those goals of dropping a few pounds feels good. So the necessity of consuming extra fat calories in the morning, uh, maybe you should have the coffee straight and see how it feels to, um, as Mark Sisson says to live audiences and gets a chuckle every time when you get fat and keto adapted, you can take your next meal off your plate or you can take it off your button thighs. It's your choice. (laughs) So just putting that plug in there for burning stored energy rather than obsessively throwing down uh, fat calories from uh, the planet Earth, from the food supply, uh, thinking that's a necessity. Basically, what we want to do is get good at burning fat one way or the other and limiting carb intake. So um, an omelet is a great choice for 
starting your day with a meal or a period of fasting is a great choice where you just get into the groove and uh, into the pattern of waiting until 12 noon and then having your fabulous big ass salad every single day knowing that you're in this routine that you can do it that it feels good and there's no second guessing and there's no temptation either this is what i like about uh, hanging out with you brian i know you're listening I know at least I have one listener to this show because you have to master the damn thing. But you have this sort of pre-existing commitment that you're uh, eating in keto alignment such that there's really no willpower necessary. There's no decision fatigue or temptation or distraction. And it's like, it's so regimented that it's not regimented. It's not, it's not disciplined or any of those words where people are like, gosh, I don't know how you discipline yourself so well from uh, not ordering cheesecake when all five of us are having big slices here. It's not about that, man. You see, it's not about that. What it's about is saying, uh, here's what I can eat, and I don't even want to decide uh, outside of those parameters. And so I think it's a little bit of a ramble here but I think the listener can kind of nod your head and consider this strategy where a lot of us are forced into this strategy because we go to the doctor and we have our, our um, uh, horrible uh, stomach pain and we find out we're celiac or highly gluten intolerant and the, uh, the doctor says, okay, well, you can't eat gluten, you're highly allergic or you can't eat peanuts because you'll go into anaphylactic shock. Uh, my friend Rob can't eat my chocolate mousse because he turns red and swollen and his throat locks up and he can't talk, but he whispers, I need some Benadryl. Did you put raw eggs in this dessert? And I'm like, uh, sort of raw eggs, but they kind of went in with the melted chocolate. <laughs> so that didn't go over well when I served mousse to him. And he probably will never again have to decide whether or not to have a bowl of my delicious mousse, right? Because he's allergic to it. So when we have these allergies and these built-in limiters and constrainers, um, that kind of serves to benefit us in many ways because we don't have the temptation and the decision fatigue. So if you're going keto for six weeks, just do it and say, oh, I'm allowed to eat this. I'm not allowed to eat that. End of story. Then later, we can use a little more uh, mindfulness and intuition, and we're on vacation, and we decide that we're going to have a well-chosen treat that someone made and prepared for us, or whatever's going on where you can say, okay, I'm going to make an informed decision here to uh, enjoy something that I don't usually eat and piggybacked with that or paired with that, I know that tomorrow I'm going to get back into my normal pattern, which is fasting until noon, eating a salad, whatever, whatever. But I think so many of us are uh, averse to uh, being deprived of anything. We're in the instant gratification world. We're constantly hyper-connected. We always have our technology at our fingertips. We can get the answer to any fact or question. I wonder how many people are in California. Siri, how many people are in California? 38,864,000, right? We can't even be deprived of information for more than a few seconds, let alone a food choice. And like my example of your five dining companions are all ordering cheesecake and you're not, you feel like you're missing out, F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. And our brains are programmed to just consume uh, the, the age of consumerism and affluenza. It was a good book by that title many years ago where we were just programmed to uh, be part of the action and keep up with the Joneses and all those things. And when those filter into our uh, dietary choices, man, um, it can be it can be destructive to your health. It's sort of like the the era of gluttony and sloth, where we can have whatever we want. We can have it now. We can have as much as we want. Uh, maybe we can make up for uh, childhood traumas and deprivations where you came from a family of eight and the everybody ate really fast because they uh, competed for the food and you were the youngest and so you never got enough and so you spend your entire adult life stuffing your face with more than you need. Um, not to make fun or make light of this stuff, but we know there's a lot of emotional components and psychological components, psychological components 
mixed into our eating patterns. So this is where an exercise like going for uh, going for gold with the keto is really valuable because it teaches you discipline, teaches you appreciation for the process, uh, a, pr- a greater appreciation for meals, greater appreciation for hunger and satiety uh, patterns, right? When's the last time you were truly hungry and didn't eat something at your fingertips? Again, in seconds, if you did the slightest sensation of hunger, like, oh, I'm feeling kind of hungry. Mostly that's boredom rather than hunger. Luis Villasenor gave me that quote. He said, if you're hungry uh, when you're actually eating keto and doing a good job uh, dialing in your macronutrients, you're either bored or you're sodium depleted. <laughs> Pretty heavy, man. Think about that. If you're hungry during keto, something goofy there. Anyway, when's the last time you were truly hungry for more than seven minutes? And what about if you were hungry for an hour? Would that be a growth experience for you to really appreciate, like maybe during that hour that you're actually hungry, you're chopping vegetables, you're putting them in the stir fry, you're checking that steak and flipping it after three minutes exactly and going to make the most fabulous uh, steak you've ever made with the great marinades and you're preparing this fantastic meal and you're going to enjoy it with friends and family. And when you finally sit down and chew every bite with full pleasure and satisfaction and mindfulness, it's a totally different experience than the gas tank mentality of us racing through our days, trying to get as much work done and consume as much digital information as possible while uh, absent-mindedly throwing whatever foods available down our throats and carrying on, especially when we're traveling on these airplane flights and they're serving these crappy meals and the carts going up and down the aisle and the poor flight attendants are working their butts off to bring the person uh, another roll, please, and they can't even go for three hours uh, in, in transportation without having something to eat. Imagine how much cheaper the flights would be if they didn't serve meals on the flights. Oh, forgot, Southwest Airlines did that and kicked butt and has been the only profitable airline for the last few decades while the other ones all go into reorganization and restructuring and raise their prices and gouge it to this, especially the business travelers who pay for the economy travelers because we're all trying to get that food on the airplane because uh, we can't go for three hours without a meal. And then we get into... Well, the airport food is much better now, but in the old days, it was disgusting, and it was the only option, and people still took that only option because they didn't understand there was another option, such as fasting and perhaps even going hungry. And in my opinion, I think uh, not eating while you're traveling is a fabulous strategy to minimize the effects of jet lag and help you get uh, dialed in quickly to uh, the new time zone. Uh, When you give that uh, digestive system a break, and just get your circadian rhythm uh, through that stressful event of passing through time zones and jet travel. Uh, There's no need to eat. It's a great time to fast. Okay, how's that for a rant at the finish? Commit to six weeks. Eat the same thing every day if you need to so that you don't have decision fatigue, don't need to exercise well power 17 times a day, and you'll have a much more fun and pleasurable keto eating experience Even if there's not a ton of variety for a while, just enjoying the same thing every day, there's something to be said for that. Thumbs up on that. And then when you build the momentum and you're in a good groove, then you can go grab the fabulous books out there that have these exotic creations that are all keto-aligned, keto-friendly. We have the Keto Reset Instant Pot Cookbook. I made some bread in there a few months ago. First time I'd had a single bite of bread in 10 years, and this was the almond flour, rosemary, olive oil, rosemary bread. It was so good. Oh my gosh, I've made it several times now. So now I'm back in the bread scene with this extremely low-carb, highly nutritious form of our uh, favorite American meal of bread. There's many other recipes in there. Uh, Brian and I are working on an awesome new cookbook uh, for lazy people, especially dudes who don't want to spend all the time in the kitchen and just want to eat like the fabulous creations on the Whole Dudes Instagram account. Check that out. That's Whole Dudes, D-O-O-D-S. That's Brian right there. He's not in front of the camera too much, uh, but those are his meals. So 
There's so many great options for variety, creativity, but also the consistency and the smoothness of your transition into a whole new way of eating. So a little plug there for just uh, getting it going as simple as possible. I think that's enough uh, messaging for one show. I wish you luck with your uh, initial foray into nutritional ketosis. Thank you for listening. Email info at ketoreset.com if you want to give feedback, comments, or questions for the show. And oh, don't forget to go listen to my new podcast called the Get Over Yourself Podcast, where I branch out from my usual uh, content that I cover on the Primal Endurance Show and the Keto Show here uh, to talk about all manner of health, fitness, peak performance, personal growth, happiness, all kinds of fun stuff with very interesting guests, including me going off on assorted topics of the day. There's several shows up there now. Go look at bradkearns.com. I think you're really going to like this new podcast, and I appreciate your support of it. Maybe even leave a review if you like the show. Uh, Have a great discussion with Dr. Peter Atia up there, one of the early shows. I talk about the amazing story of the Japanese soccer team and their And they're cleaning up their locker room and leaving it in pristine condition after a devastating defeat at the World Cup. I have an hour-long show on the fabulous benefits of cold therapy and the chest freezer cold plunge that has become a wonderful part of my daily routine. Search YouTube for Brad Kern's chest freezer cold plunge. I have a short show with advice for healthy relationships from the world's leading experts in relationships. Wonderful stuff. And I'm trying to give you an example of all the diversity of the content. And oh my gosh, I did a fabulous show with our very own Primal Blueprint podcast hostess, L. Russ. So I turned the tables, turned the microphone around on her and made her the guest. We had a wonderful flowing show on many topics, including the surprise of L. revealing something that she's never before told the public. And it was really, uh, it was really deep and heavy a wonderful show talking about her health challenges and how they've affected her life and her ability to uh, develop a mindset of gratitude to get her through every day. You're going to absolutely love that show and hear a different side of Elle than you get uh, from the wonderful personality that she is as the interviewer on the Primal Blueprint podcast. So all that stuff is over at the Get Over Yourself podcast housed at bradkearns.com, brand new website. You can learn all about speed golf more than you ever thought possible if you go check out my new website and new podcasts. And thanks for listening to this show. Have a great day. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. It's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my god! So she likes like the mayo on. A oh yeah, she so she loves those. So we love them as well. We have uh, we we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo. We eat the balsamic. We eat the the ranch. Um, the avocado oil we use all the time, and, and so you know that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. And uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. (laughs) It's my pleasure.